to our lesson for today. And as you guys know, we are in our series, Jeremiah, the branch of an almond tree. And we've been focusing on cringeworthy things that God made Jeremiah do. Last week, God made Jeremiah to bury his underwear and then to give a really bad toast at a party. Today, we're going to see that God told Jeremiah not to marry, to act like a jerk to everyone he knows, and then when they get mad at him for being a jerk, to blame them for his bad attitude. It's in the Bible. So there was this girl, her name was Darling, and she had a rough childhood because of her unusual name. In the place she grew up in, that was kind of an unusual name. She was picked on, she was teased, but as she grew up, she overcame the struggle of her name, and she really appreciated her name. She eventually married her high school sweetheart. She had a child of her own, a baby girl, and she decided in the spirit of what her parents did for her to name the child Love. Unfortunately, love had many of the same experiences that Darling had. Teased, picked on, because her name was kind of uncommon. One day, she came home from school, love did, and she went to her dad and she just lost it. Why? Why would you and mom name me such a terrible name? Why call me love? Everybody picks on me all the time. And she just couldn't control herself. And the dad was trying to console her and apologize and, and you know, stand up for her, for her mother. But, but it wasn't consoling love. So love pulled out a dart gun, a toy dart gun, and shot her dad in the head. Knocked him unconscious. He fell down on the floor. A few minutes later, darling, the wife, came home. She saw her husband lying on the ground. He was all groggy. She asked, honey, what happened? And he was, he was coming to, and he, he said, come here, honey. And in a very whisper in her ear, he said, shot with a dart, and you're to blame, darling. You gave love a bad name. You know, you got to start every Sunday off with a little bit of Bon Jovi from time to time. So Jeremiah, his name meant God exalts. But you know, over time, if you look it up in the dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, his name has another meaning. And his name means or has become synonymous with someone who is a pessimist and hopeless. In some ways, Jeremiah got kind of a bummer of a name. But that didn't mean that his name wasn't the right name. As we go through this series, and we're looking at these cringeworthy things that God told Jeremiah to do, I want to remind you that in every situation we've examined, God has always had a reason and a purpose behind giving Jeremiah the charge to do these things. Let's go to God in prayer. We're going to turn to Jeremiah 16. God, it is great. We ask for your blessing to be with us this morning and help us to look into your word deeply and be inspired by what we see. Help us to examine it and let the Spirit speak to each and every one of us. I pray that you move me out of the way, you move what other obstacles are out of the way in each of our hearts, and that we can honestly listen to your word and see something in there, maybe new 
maybe, maybe familiar, but something that motivates us, inspires us, and helps us to go another week in faith and in love and in trust of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jeremiah 16, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, you must not marry and have sons or daughters in this place. For this is what the Lord says about the sons and daughters born in this land and about the women who are their mothers and the men who are their fathers. They will die of deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. They will perish by sword and famine and their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. If you've been with us for the series of Jeremiah, you should be comfortable by now with such strong language. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, it is filled with verses like this, just one after the other. And I got to admit, it's hard to preach because, you know, I get up here and I say sort of the same doom and gloom message every Sunday. So I'm doing my best to try to dig into it and see what it means for me today, because not all of it needs to be so harsh for you and me today. Certainly there's a part of that that we need to honor and respect, and maybe it will be necessary at some point in our life. And I think there's value in knowing God's word, all of it, even the hard parts. But I also believe there's so much life in these words. There's so much inspiration in these words that we can really look at it through different lenses and see things that apply to us today and actually help us as we live our lives each day. So it's no secret that God often asked prophets to do cringeworthy things in order to teach lessons to his people. And here, the first cringeworthy thing that I want to talk about is he told Jeremiah, you are not to marry. That's pretty cringeworthy. But I said, as I said before, it wasn't without a reason, without a purpose. You know, the life of a prophet, especially in Jeremiah's day, was extremely hard. And in Jeremiah's case, it was about to get a whole lot harder. You should know by now that what was about to happen was Judah was about to be destroyed by the nation of Babylon, and it was going to be totally destructive. People, bodies lying in the streets, unburied. It was going to be that traumatic and that bad. And so on one hand... God wanted Jeremiah's singleness, his lack of being married to communicate something. He wanted to use Jeremiah like a piece of performance art. And he wanted to send a message by Jeremiah's life to the people that there's no future for you. That that as Jeremiah has no future in the sense that he's not going to marry and have children and all of that comes with that, neither are you. But you know, there was also something else in this command to Jeremiah to not marry that was kind of merciful. And that was that God knew that husbands and wives would be killed. And he didn't want to put Jeremiah in a situation where not only did he have to be a prophet and preach doom and gloom and endure many hardships, but then he would have to watch his own wife and children be caught up in the calamity. But that doesn't mean that Jeremiah's life was totally painless, that he wasn't going to miss, that, that he wasn't going to have some troubles of his own. It also doesn't mean that Jeremiah may not have wanted to marry. I believe, like most men in his day, they probably, he probably did. It was the thing that everyone did. 
It was to be expected. It was part of God's general will for all people to have great marriages. And also, it was very cultural in uh, Judah at the time, in Jeremiah's day. It was expected that you married and had children. And so Jeremiah was in this very difficult situation because he was foregoing all of that to serve his God. Now, let's be clear. Jeremiah is a prophet. He was called specifically. The call of God to Jeremiah not to marry does not necessarily mean that's the call for all of us. We can't overapply this passage. We're talking about a specific person in a specific time and place for specific reasons. But that doesn't make it easy for Jeremiah, does it? He has to be single. I believe Jeremiah experienced what we might call today FOMO, the fear of missing out. You know, in our day, this has become a real problem. For something, something about that in our time and place, there's some real anxieties and depressions and, and mental uh, um, disturbances that are occurring in people's lives because they're afraid they might miss out on something. We've become so experiential in our, in our emphasis. We want to experience things. We want to be able to say we were there when so-and-so hit the home run. Or we were there when I saw the, the car fly off the cliff. I mean, it doesn't have to be good. It could be bad. But we, we have this mentality that we've got to be there in the moment. We've got to experience it. And if we're not there, we might miss out. And it's become a real fear in many people's lives. I believe Jeremiah experienced it. He missed out on marriage, on kids, and all that came with it. I've started to realize in my study of Jeremiah that not only has my beard got bigger, and in that way I'm starting to relate to Jeremiah. I'm assuming he had a big beard. But I'm starting to realize that I too suffer from FOMO, the fear of missing out. I'm afraid that if I don't get what I want, when I want it, I'm not going to be happy. And it's a very weird experience. And I'm going to speak to those of you, I don't know the age break here, but let's say 35 and up, maybe 40 and up. I'm not sure. And then I'm going to, to the rest of you, you, you won't understand this. But it is so weird that in my lifetime, I went from riding my bike Everywhere I went, with, you left a note for your parents on the phone. Went over to Todd's. You put it on the phone. I got on my bike, and I left. And there was no communication. No, where are you at, and checking in. None of that occurred for hours upon hours. And then I would ride home in the evening and have dinner. Now, now I have a rectangular piece of plastic that I take everywhere. And if I don't have it with me, I'm nervous. Because I might, I might need to know something. I mean, I might need to find something out. And I might need to find it out right now. And I might miss out if I don't know right now. I had this app for a while. I think it was some sort of Amazon app, but it would tell you like the deal of the day. And it would be like, you got to be here at this corner, at this intersection right now. White van's going to pull up and you can buy speakers for this price if you go right now. 
I'm like, I'm getting rid of that app because it's causing me anxiety. <laughs> the fear of missing out. It's something we all can relate to. Jeremiah missed out on marriage and kids. You're missing out maybe on owning a home at this point. Maybe you're missing out on marriage and kids. Maybe you're missing out on the career. Maybe Dave missed out on having a great vacation in Maryland for a whole year where he could come back and just talk about all the fun. And then he, whatever, I mean, I don't know, I'm, he's falling apart. He broke his knee, his ankle, uh, whatever else happened. He lost his job twice. I mean, the poor guy. We all miss out. And we experience this anxiety, this fear. You know, being a believer like being a prophet is not easy. Because it comes with a certain amount of trouble of its own. There are times when we have to be willing not only to miss out, but then also sit with the fear. God doesn't text me. He texts Dave, apparently. <laughs> but he doesn't text me. He doesn't always tell me what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after or where we're headed, where I'm headed in life. And I have to be willing to sit with that fear. Like my parents had to be willing to come home and see a note. I'm at Todd's and just trust that I was at Todd's and at some point I'd show back up home sometime that day. Not something we are accustomed to in our society. It's not something we're comfortable with, but, but being a believer does require a certain amount of trust in God. A certain amount of sitting with our fear. Verse 5, for this is what the Lord says, do not enter a house where there's a funeral meal. Do not go to mourn or show sympathy because I've withdrawn my blessing, my love and my pity from these people, declares the Lord. Both high and low will die in this land. They will not be buried or mourned. No one will cut themselves or shave their head for the dead. No one offer food or comfort those who mourn for the dead, not even for a father or a mother, nor will anyone give them a drink to console them. And do not enter a house where there is feasting and sit down to eat and drink. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Before your eyes, in your days, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voices of bride and bridegroom in this place. So if being single was not cringeworthy enough, God had another ask of Jeremiah. And his ask was to be a jerk to everyone else. Look at what verse 5 says. Do not enter a house where a, there is a funeral meal. Do not go to mourn or show sympathy. Could you imagine God telling you to not go to your best friend's mother's funeral and to not show any sympathy or empathy for their loss? Wow. Or any other sad occasion. I mean, if there's anything that we do as people that really just comes out of us is, is this ability to want to empathize and connect with each other in difficult times. I mean, even, even enemies will send their condolences. Even political rivals will send their condolences when something tragic happens. Not for Jeremiah. He just gets to be uncool. It gets worse because in verse 8, God then tells him, 
Do not enter a house where there's feasting and sit down to eat and drink. So he's not even allowed to celebrate when someone gets a new job or they get the promotion or they have a wedding. No, you don't go to that and you don't get happy for them. So you don't mourn with people who are mourning. You don't celebrate with people who are celebrating. You, Jeremiah, get to be single and a jerk. That's your job. It's so cringeworthy to me that God would call someone to do that. It almost feels wrong. It almost feels like, is God like making him sin here? Now, I don't believe he is. He's God. There's something going on here. There's a reason. There's a purpose. But man, this is a really hardcore ask of Jeremiah. Now, we know from the context that what, what this, this behavior was for was to communicate to the people that, hey, there was not going to be time for mourning. There was not going to be time for celebrating because Babylon was coming and they were going to invade so quickly and so rapidly. You wouldn't even have time to bury your dead. Don't even think about it. So again, it was performance art. It was a way of God communicating through Jeremiah the seriousness and the intensity of what was about to come upon the people of Judah. So there was a message there. And I don't believe the people missed it, but it was there. But that didn't make it easy to swallow, did it? Not for Jeremiah and not for the people who had to endure him when he showed up or walked by the house during a funeral. Oh, don't let him in. Don't let him in. And then there's the party. No, no, no. Who invited him? Get him out. Get him out. I mean, this is Jeremiah's life. It's as if God sentenced Jeremiah to a life of total social exile. He must have been the most unfriended person in Jerusalem. So I have a question. From time to time, I like to have some dialogue with the audience. It's okay to blurt out an answer. Why do you think God asked Jeremiah to do these kinds of things? Like, just use your noodle for a minute. You meditate on it. You think about it. You contemplate it. If something comes to your mind, there's no wrong answer here. Just blurt it out. Why do you think God chose to ask Jeremiah to do these kinds of cringeworthy things? To not be part of the world. To not be part of the world. Yes. I saw a hand go up in the back. Anyone else? To feel what he felt. Anyone else? To test his faith? To bring about the fulfillment of the prophecy? Really interesting point there. Yeah, that, that, you know, hey, if Jeremiah can do this, you know, what if God's asking me to do? I mean, it's, I don't think it's that, that hard compared to what Jeremiah had to do, right? I think all of those things that you said are, are, are absolutely on point and they're worthy of for you to meditate and think about. For me, I really believe that God wanted someone on the ground among the people to communicate what he felt and how he felt about the state of Judah in Jeremiah's day. He wanted someone to know what it was like for him. And so he poured it all into Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, God bless him, accepted the call. He accepted the challenge of God, the ask of God. It's going to be a hard road, Jeremiah. 
You're not going to get married. You're not going to have kids. And nobody's going to like you. But man, would you please, would you please understand what I'm feeling? Would you please tell others what it's like to be me watching my people behave in such godless and such immoral and idolatrous ways? In a small way, you are called to be a Jeremiah. It's God's reason and his purpose for your life for you to communicate to the people in your life, your oikoses, your worlds, how God feels about them. The good, the bad, and sometimes even the ugly. You all have an oikos. You all have a household of people. You have a world of people that you interact with on a regular basis. Are you a voice of God in their life? Do you pray for them? Do you invest in them? Do you invite them to things? Are you preparing yourself to be Jesus to them? Are you fulfilling the purpose and reason God has given you to be a mouthpiece to them? I want to challenge you to look at your oikos, Look at the names you wrote down on a paper, the people that you believe God has given you. And I want you to do something with each of them this week. It could be a phone call. It could be a coffee. It could be a prayer. I don't know what it is. You have to decide that. But what is it that God puts on your heart to do with those people this week? Will you answer the call to be Jeremiah to them? Verse 10, when you tell these people all this and they ask you, why has the Lord decreed such great disaster against us? What wrong have we done? What sin have we committed against the Lord our God? Then say to them, it is because your ancestors forsook me, declares the Lord, and followed other gods and served and worshiped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law. But you have behaved more wickedly than your ancestors. See how all of you are following the stubbornness of your evil hearts instead of obeying me. So I will throw you out of this land into a land neither knew you nor your ancestors have known. And there you will serve other gods day and night for I will show you no favor. The last cringeworthy thing. I, at some point I start laughing when I read this stuff. But God told Jeremiah, okay, don't marry all right, all right, that's, that's kind of helpful because not only is Jeremiah's life miserable, he would have made his wife's life miserable, and then she would have died, and that would have been terrible. So, okay, but now I want you to go be a jerk to everybody. And when they ask you, Jeremiah, why are you being a jerk? I want you to go, it's your fault. Have you ever tried to talk to someone and, like, resolve a conflict, and they just go, no, it's your fault? That's Jeremiah. It's your fault. He says it there in verse 11. It is because your ancestors forsook me. And then later he goes on to say, verse 12, but you have behaved more wickedly than your ancestors. Jeremiah was to blame them for his bad behavior. I 
I had a friend call me up recently. Good friend. I love him. Been friends for 20 some odd years. And he wanted to tell me that he believed that I had been in error, uh, really had sinned in, in a significant way in a, in a conversation that I had and said something very wrong or inappropriate. And he wanted to make sure that I understood that. Now, I didn't totally agree with the intensity of his need to tell me this, the, the call and the language. It was a bit strong, in my opinion, for what I did. But I acknowledged that I was uh, abrasive and that there may have been a better way to handle that. And I apologized. Now, a few days later, I saw that friend and I really didn't want to talk to him. You ever done that? You have a bad interaction and then the next time you see him, you're like, ooh, uh, I didn't really, I was trying to figure out how I could avoid him everywhere I went. Of course, I couldn't avoid him. We connected and we're friends. It's great. But it was interesting to me how even a friend with a relatively mild, maybe you could call it stern challenge of me on something I did, bothered me so much that I really didn't want to talk to him. Could you imagine if it was Jeremiah telling you you'd done something wrong? I mean, Jeremiah, the jerk who won't go to your mother's funeral. And then you go, why are you such a jerk? It's your fault. No, no, no. I mean, I don't think anybody wanted to talk to Jeremiah ever again. We learned in previous weeks that they tried to kill him on more than one occasion. They dragged him out. They're like, we're killing this guy right now. I mean, it's like God gave Jeremiah this impossible task. Call people to repent in the worst and most off-putting way you know how. It just seems so counterintuitive. Like, how is that going to work? No wonder nobody listened to him. So I have another question for you. We'll close out contemplating this question. Can you imagine a scenario where it might be the right thing for you to call someone up or have an interaction with someone or talk to them face-to-face, whatever the, the scenario is, and be really off-putting and abrasive and difficult with them. Can you imagine where that scenario would be the right scenario? Anyone? Silence. I thought for sure some of you would be like, of course. Rito, you want to say something? I see your hand. Go ahead. Great point. I wouldn't call it a love language, but yeah, that's, there's another term for that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bring it on. Like, it, it, you actually do well with it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. When they hurt somebody close to you and are continuing to, and you're like, you're a jerk, you need to stop it. Yeah, yeah. you see somebody being injured, uh, someone you know and love, and now you have to step up and, and be firm, even aggressive, even intense. Anyone else? Yeah. Sometimes you got to be hard to say. It's hard sometimes. You got to put them down, and sometimes you got to put them down firmly. Boundaries. Yeah. Wow, sometimes people are beating themselves up, and they're not handling what 
their process is bad, and, and sometimes you got to almost got to shake them out of it. It's almost like you got to yell loud enough to they hear it. It's interesting, isn't it? There is a time. There is a time and a place to be a jerk, using that in, in quotes, to people, to say the difficult thing, to say the uncomfortable thing. My answer was when all else fails. I try again and again to show love, to mercy, to forgiveness, to kindness, to affirm maybe in some instruction, maybe a correction. And then there's a point where you're just yelling, trying to get them to listen. I believe that's who Jeremiah was. He was really the last prophet before Judah was to fall into collapse and and destruction for Babylon. And it was sort of like the last gasp Whatever, man, Jeremiah, say whatever you got to say, but you got to say something to try to get these people to listen. Years ago, I had a very good friend, member of the church, who traded his faith in Jesus Christ for faith in another religion. I, I can't even call it a religion. The thing he was getting into was a very strange belief system about a certain person and that this person might be potentially God. It was very unusual because it was here in the States and it wasn't, it wasn't something I expected, but he, he had fallen into this, this belief and he was losing his faith in Jesus and he was trading it for a faith in a physical person who was holding meetings in their house. And we started out polite, but by the end of that conversation, I was raising my voice and I was doing everything in my, in my mind I could think of to try to stop him. Every intense word I could think of didn't work. He left the faith. The world we live in is not much different in Jeremiah's world. It's full of unrepentant people who resist the will of God. And you might just be the only Jeremiah they will ever come across. Don't let them down. I'm not saying go out today and blast everybody you meet at lunch. But I am saying that we've got to start speaking to the world around us because the world around us is headed for disaster. And you and I know it. And you and I have been given a message and a gift of salvation that they desperately need to hear. And you have been specially called by God, like Jeremiah, to speak to that select group of people. I cannot go to your world and do it for you. They don't know me and they don't care about me. They know you and they might listen to you. Do not let them down. You know, I like to end with a call to the ABCs. If you're interested in wanting to know more about what it means to 
be a believer in Jesus Christ and to carry a message to the world around you and do some real good, you got to learn the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner who needs a Savior. Believe Jesus is Lord and covenant with Him at baptism. If you're wanting to know more, please talk to who invited you out. Talk to me. We'd love to tell you more about that. If you're not ready, keep coming back. We are happy you're here. But this time we're going to stand. We're going to close out with a word of prayer and you'll be dismissed.